0: You might think you know the facts about Medicaid, but did you know that more than half of Americans rely on it or know someone who does? I'm David Himmel, and as some states consider changing Medicaid policies that will affect our most vulnerable, I'm going to set the record straight. Tune in to the final installment of this series on October 4th for a special branded episode from our sponsor, Providence St. Joseph Health.
1: Providers will tell patients you need to fill in the blank you need to take this medication you need to exercise you need to lose weight you need to eat more fruits and vegetables whatever the behavior uh, that's needed is but anybody that checks inside of themselves knows that just because somebody tells you to do it doesn't mean that a you can or b you know how
2: I'm Dan Diamond, this is Pulse Check, and that was Ruth Wolever, who runs the health coaching program at Vanderbilt. A health coach is just what it sounds like, a coach who's there to help patients manage a problem or make changes to their lifestyle or diet, for example. And there is a national board certification for health coaches. The field is expected to grow to nearly an $8 billion industry in the coming years. Who's paying for that? And how does this industry fit with the broader push toward value-based care? We're digging into health coaching in our series, Pulse Check at Work, where you'll hear from experts wrestling with big picture health policy questions and get a window into day-to-day life for people in the field. We have two conversations today. We'll hear more from Vanderbilt's Ruth Wolever about how health coaches fit into the healthcare picture right now. And first, a conversation with Michelle Giraldi. A health coach for a San Francisco company called Omada Health, which connects coaches like her with patients struggling with their weight and diabetes, and they do it all remotely through an app. We'll hear about how Michelle's own experience with weight loss helps her connect with her clients. Before we get to these conversations, a reminder to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of the series. To search for Politico's Pulse Check on your favorite podcast player. Pulse Check at Work is sponsored by Providence St. Joseph Health. You'll hear a message from them later in the show in a branded episode from Providence St. Joseph Health at the conclusion of our series October 4th. And of course, when news breaks in healthcare this month, you can expect to see bonus episodes of Pulse Check in your feed. And now, here's our look at health coaches. Michelle Giraldi, welcome to Politico Pulse Check.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
2: You're a health coach with Omada. You've been there for, I guess, about seven years. What did you do before you became a health coach?
3: Well, I my, I come from a family of restaurant owners. So throughout my all my early years and later years, I was working at the restaurant all the time. Uh, but in that process, I had a weight problem of my own. So I was working at that, which felt like another job. <laughs> and then I decided to get into radio a little bit, actually. From there, I really liked the idea of being able to reach people and to connect with them that way. Uh, and somewhere along the way, while I was working on my own weight, as well as uh, trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do for work, I was also volunteering a lot. And it hit me that I could probably put everything together, put put my weight loss experience together, as well as use my customer service skills from my restaurant work and all of the knowledge I had gained about health into finding a job like a health coach, where I could just apply everything and uh, be able to help a lot more people.
2: Do you feel like your skill set and background is common for health coaching, or, or are you an outlier in that mix of experiences?
3: Well, we see people with all different kinds of experience. And I think that what we see most, most frequently is indeed people who have a bunch of different things where they're collecting knowledge and experience from different areas and they're putting it all together to the point where they can not only help people but also relate to them and be able to apply all of that in, in an effective way.
2: What sorts of certifications or, or degrees or training does someone need to be a health coach? Are those even required?
3: Well, uh, you do have to have a DPP certification. So all of our coaches here at to have that. And, and then, DPP is what? Uh, the diabetes prevention program. And so we are required to have that, uh, to CDC validated, uh, training and, from there, our coaches come from a very vast uh, background. So we do have people who are RNs. We have people who are registered dietitians, nutritionists, even people who have therapy backgrounds and personal trainer certifications. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a huge mix.
2: And OMADA is, is more specifically looking for people who have that diabetes prevention program training because of the type of program that OMADA has set up. Other health coaches at other organizations might not need that kind of degree.
3: That's possible. Yeah, we, we do look at behavior change quite a lot. So we try to make sure and take a holistic approach since so many different diseases will overlap. Uh, we we do focus a lot on diabetes prevention, but our approach is vast and we're looking to improve health overall.
2: Walk us walk us through the day of a health coach. What is it that you do every day?
3: Well, it's a collection of things. And uh, the first would, would be interacting with the participants so that will come in a couple different ways first I'll get online and I'll see who's who's contacted me and make sure to respond to them quickly then I will go into my list of people who I wanted to follow up with so there might be people who were sick or maybe they attended their grandchild's wedding or something like that and I want to reach out to them and see how that went or how they're feeling and then also the beauty of our program is that we have these incredible tools where it will prioritize people who might need a little extra care that day. And so if somebody, for example, didn't track any food or maybe they tracked three times as much food in one day, there's definitely a problem there and I wanna reach out to that person. Thankfully our system will let me know and uh, I'll, I'll see what happened and, and try, to, try to make sure I connect with them. From there, um, we'll also be in touch with everybody on our team in the the Omada headquarters. So we will be talking to product. We'll be talking about engineering. We'll be working on the tools, trying to make sure that we perfect them and uh, help with efficiency that way. We'll also be in contact with our medical affairs team quite a lot. So we're always learning and, and growing and running by any situations that, might have some difficult sides to it. And then we're also taking a lot of time to learn ourselves and explore. So there's always a new fad diet out there or something where we're gonna get participants coming to us and asking for our advice. And in that situation, I need to be really well prepared so that I can make sure I don't send them in an unhealthy direction.
2: What's the latest fad diet? What's out there right now?
3: Uh, Well, you get a lot of people asking about keto. But um, that's that comes around a lot. And like all diets out there and, and so many things, there's there's good sides and bad sides. But then, of course, um, I don't think any one diet can really affect, can really address everything because it's just so much not, a. there's so much other than food that, that you have to think about. So I want to make sure they understand that. And that we always look at the brain first and and see what our our behaviors are before we actually really buy into any one diet.
2: Imagine that a a middle-aged man is paired up with you. Are there a suite of questions that you might pick from when you're first introducing yourself and getting to know that person?
3: Well, thankfully, to our tools and our the way our program is set up, we'll have some answers already. So they do fill out a questionnaire when they're coming into the program. And so I know a little bit about them from day one. And um, from there, I can expand on those and just try to figure out a little more of what their daily life is like, who's who's in their life, what type of people, what type of work they're doing, because a lot of jobs will have high stress and sometimes there will be a lot of unhealthy foods at that work. And so I want to see what their environments are like, because it's really important to try and, you know, have them be in an environment that is going to support their weight loss and their health efforts.
2: Since most of your interaction is online, you don't really get the same face-to-face relationship that many other healthcare providers might. How do you adjust for being, at times, very far away in in distance and, and time zone from the people that you're working with?
3: I actually think it's a huge benefit to to not be in person because I can see people really open up a lot more that way. And there's an interest in the different areas where we live. So when we do live in, in different areas, it's fun to be able to talk to them about what's going on over there and to learn about that. I think that helps them relate more to people. It helps me relate more. And I always kind of liken it to a little bit of like a pen pal relationship where there's something a little bit magical in the fact that it's far away and, and that you can be a little more comfortable and be your authentic self while you're talking to them.
2: Who are the hardest patients to reach initially?
3: I think people who, some some people have sort of a defeated mentality when they start and that will come it's understandable because often they'll come from having not succeeded in a lot of other programs and they'll come in and they'll just not really expect much and it will be important for us to to try and get them to a positive place where they have hope and they have belief that they can actually do this
2: so looking at it from the other direction michelle what would you say would be the the breakdown of clients who are easy to work with? Is there a percentage that you might put on on how many are immediately on board with the program?
1: Yeah,
3: um, I would say it is definitely the, the majority, a huge majority. And usually you can identify those folks right away because they're so positive and they're so happy and they have so much hope. And we just want to make sure that they keep that. So that's uh, something that I think is the best gift they can have when they come into the program. And it's something we want to maintain as, as long as possible so that they they can celebrate every success they reach along the way.
2: So I'm, I'm someone who isn't always healthy, even though I'm a health reporter. <laughs> I barely sleep and I don't always eat right. If I was paired up with you, what would be some of the things that you might ask me or, or say to me when we're getting to know each other?
3: Well, I would try to identify the areas that you're having the most trouble with. So sleep, we would definitely see, like, why is that? Is is there something keeping you awake? Is there some sort of stress? Or is it uh, technology and, and looking at things at night? And just try to get a good idea of what your daily life is like to where we can see certain points that might be able to improve, and then hopefully those will add up into a bigger type of change.
2: Would you give me goals? Would you say, for instance, don't look at your phone an hour before bedtime or eat certain things across the day?
3: Yeah, I would suggest a lot of things like that and give you a list of things that I've seen work and that work for me personally. And I wouldn't, I, I'm very careful never to tell someone they have to do something. And, and that's the same way with food or exercise or anything. But I would definitely give you all of the resources I had and all of the advice I had to, to see if we could impact that somehow.
2: So what are some of the things that have worked, either for you or or typically work with the clients you are paired up with?
3: Well, uh, I would say for myself and for the clients I have, the thing that works the most that I see is really looking at it from the big picture. And really, uh, like we were talking about earlier, where we want to get the parts from other programs and and other things they tried and apply those to the lifestyle change. So we want to look at their sleep. We want to look at their nutrition their stress, uh, anything that's going on in their life, their environments, exercise. And we want to make sure and address each of those things so that it can be a collective lifestyle that they can really sustain for the long term. It's definitely not a diet. And if they take a diet approach, usually that's just not going to work. So we want to make sure this is something sustainable and something that's going to make them happy. Because so many times people... You know, it's they think it's synonymous to be miserable and be on a diet, <laughs> but healthy living is really just so fun when when you get it. And I want to once I got it, I realized it could be fun, and and that's what I want to to pass on to the people I coach.
2: One one tactic that Omada health coaches don't do is calorie counting for clients, asking them to track in in calories everything that they've eaten. Why not?
3: Well, we definitely believe that. Quality of food is the most important. So uh, we sometimes will give them an idea of a calorie range to think about. But once people get so hung up on the numbers and the calories, we see something sort of opposite happen. And I've actually had people before where they've had a calorie number in their mind. And they'll just fill it with (laughs) terrible food. So they'll just say, wow, this candy bar is 250 calories. I can have five of them today. (laughs) So a lot of times you just see folks get so hung up on the number of calories that they're just not getting the nutrition. And that's not going to improve the inside of their body. And again, the the goal is health and happiness. And weight loss is a part of that, but it's definitely not the entire part.
2: (laughs) How much does the experience of your weight loss affect how you communicate with clients does it shape your coaching does it change how empathetic you are
3: well it's very important to me it's definitely important to me and i say this to my clients quite a lot actually where i when i was trying to lose weight i i didn't know why i had to go through that you know i was upset about it and it was hard and there were times where i'm just like why why do i have to do this you know <laughs> and what's going on And once I was able to fix it and and be able to help people with it, all of a sudden it just felt like that's why, you know, now I can actually help people. And there's this huge relief about that. Uh, I also see the same hope in them that I had and the same dreams. And it's, I can feel how they felt when they were wishing for that. And so I, it's extremely important for me to be able to help them get there and show them how how best they can get there.
2: Do you mind if I ask, how much weight did you lose?
3: I lost about 80 pounds. Yeah, about, about that much. I definitely go a little up, a little down here and there. So I'm careful not to say the exact amount, but, but it, was, it was in that range.
2: Does telling your clients about your own weight loss help you build trust with them?
3: I think so. I, I hear that quite a, quite a lot in the feedback of questionnaires and things like that, where they say it was easy easier to relate and, um, and also another thing I tell them a lot is that I, mine isn't over, you know, weight loss is never over. Or, or I should say, healthy living is never over. And with diets, I think it sounds like that, you know, I'm going to do this diet, and then I'm, I'm going to reach my goal, and it's going to be over. But I always say, I, I need to maintain the loss that I that I made. And therefore, I'm on the same journey as they are. And we're working on this together, I'm just a few steps ahead. And uh, you know, I have a rope, and they can grab onto that rope, and I'll pull them along. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's we're definitely doing it together. So I, I never want them to think I'm just gonna tell them what to do, and we're gonna do it. But we're gonna we're gonna do it at the same time.
2: There have been a wave of stories recently about obesity, and and that some of the risks of being overweight or obese might be overstated. What's your perspective on this, Michelle? How much of a concern is it to be an obese patient?
3: I love that question from a personal standpoint, because I always tell people, I'm going to coach you to be healthy, not to be skinny. And so um, it bothers me, to be honest, when somebody is not, is, have, might have a little extra pounds, but they're not unhealthy. And I don't have any problem at all with, with that person staying that weight. And so I think, you know, obesity, if it's, if it's impacting your health, if, if you are obese, which is which is a very high weight, not just overweight, then it is a huge problem, it is going to affect your blood sugar and your heart. And then we need to make sure that we get that weight down for for your health and your happiness. So it all depends on just how much weight there is. I don't believe in, in coaching someone to be skinny, just to be skinny, just to look good and impress people. But it's really important to make sure that we look at their health and we, we make sure that we're doing something that's going to make them have more years and more, more quality years.
2: So overweight doesn't equal unhealthy?
3: Not necessarily. It just depends on the person. I've definitely seen people where they don't have any any problems and, and they're a little bit overweight and, and they might have somebody at home saying lose weight, but... If their health, if their blood sugar is fine, if all their, you know, their numbers are good and they're athletic and they're getting movement, which, which, you know, because of movement is going to help in other ways other than weight as well, um, it's going to help with sleep. It's going to help with protect your bones and joints. So there's nothing negative about doing that stuff. And we want them to do that anyway. But I, yeah, I, I I might not necessarily say you have to lose weight if you're, if you're healthy.
2: What does it feel like when one of your clients reaches a goal, loses weight, changes their diet, improves their lifestyle habits?
3: Oh, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> um, the best thing, I mean, it's so amazing and it happens so often where people will come back to us after they went to the doctor and they'll say, this is what happened. They All these numbers changed and I'm my doctor was so ecstatic and wanted to know exactly what I did. And... I just feel so happy when I hear that. And all I can picture is that they added years to their life. And then I start picturing what they're going to do <laughs> in those years <laughs> and how many, you know, the kids in their life and everything else. And it's it's just a great thing.
2: Michelle Giraldi, joining us from San Francisco. Thank you for being on Politico Pulse Check.
3: Thank you so much, Dan.
2: Coming up. Ruth will lever on what keeps her up at night when she's thinking about the future for health coaching. But first, a word from our sponsor.
0: If Medicaid is changed or eliminated, what is at stake in this debate?
2: What is at stake are human lives?
0: Pain and suffering that could have been avoided? I'm David Himmel. And I'm here to tell you that even though you might think you know everything about Medicaid, There are a few important facts that may surprise you.
2: All of a sudden you get sick, then what? There's also a misnomer that, oh, it's just a bunch of poor people. The face of the Medicaid person is very varied and it's your neighbor, it could be a family member, could be a brother-in-law or someone else.
0: Over half of this country is touched by Medicaid in some way. And while politicians in states across the country debate the future of the program, the health of some of our most vulnerable might be at stake. We're setting the record straight in a special branded episode in this series from our sponsor, Providence St. Joseph Health. Check it out on October 4th right here or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Dr. Ruth Walllever, director of Vanderbilt Health's coaching program. Welcome to Politico Pulse Check.
1: Thank you so much.
2: One question to start our conversation how do health coaches fit into the broader picture of healthcare?
1: health coaches really have a rapidly emerging role the largest um, contribution is that they know how to engage patients and they know how to support patients to change behavior and at this day and age what's happening is that the acute care system is phenomenal but the chronic disease system still has a lot to um, be improved. So patients really need to take ownership of ways of improving their day-to-day lives and their behaviors, specifically talking about how we uh, exercise, how we eat, how we manage stress, how we sleep, et cetera. So coaches are really good at helping people figure out how to do that in a way that's sustainable in their individual lives.
2: Doctor, would you say that coaches are sliding into gaps that are for patients facing chronic disease, or are they taking work away from providers who are already trying to work with these patients?
1: Such a good question. Um, They are absolutely sliding into gaps. Unfortunately, some people perceive it as taking work away, um, generally because they don't understand the scope of practice of a coach, which... um, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about. But they're let's, ab- let's talk
2: about that right now. Okay. So, so what is the scope of practice for a health coach?
1: Yeah. So so health coaches do not diagnose and they do not assess from the perspective of figuring out a deficit that a person has. What they are trained in is a very specific process to facilitate an individual getting clear on what's important to them and how to link what they hold as important to health behaviors that are necessary from a medical or well being perspective.
2: And other healthcare providers perceive that that work might be taking away responsibilities from them?
1: Yeah, they do, because, you know, all um, both medical and allied health uh, professionals are trained in some kind of content expertise, so they know what a person should do for best outcome in terms of their condition or prevention of their condition, but they are generally not trained in how to bring that about. So what's happened for decades is that uh, providers will tell patients, you need to fill in the blank, you need to take this medication, you need to exercise, you need to lose weight, you need to eat more fruits and vegetables, whatever the behavior uh, that's needed is. But anybody that checks inside of themselves knows that just because somebody tells you to do it doesn't mean that A, you can, or B, you know how. And when people are not successful, because the system does not adequately support Behavior change, then patients get labeled, you know, non adherent or people think they're lazy or there's something wrong with the patient, when really they just haven't been supported adequately and how to change their behavior in a sustainable way.
2: We heard earlier from a health coach for Omada Health in San Francisco, focusing on weight loss and, and diabetes. How does Omada? How do the health coaches focused on diabetes and and weight loss fit into the broader picture of health coaches?
1: So there are health coaches that help people that are generally healthy and wanting to optimize their health and well-being. There are health coaches that work with folks that are at risk for chronic disease of multiple kinds and work to uh, stave off the conversion into, say, diabetes, if you're pre-diabetes, for example. Um, and then there are people that work with folks that actively have cancer or any of a number of metabolic conditions to improve their lifestyles to support the body's healing process. By supporting innate ways of healing, the body can do a great deal, Um our medical system thus far hasn't really capitalized on that, but by helping patients to eat well, rest adequately, manage their stress, physically move more, we're uh, in essence supporting the body's natural healing, and that is applicable from prevention and optimal well-being all the way to managing a really chronic, even palliative um situation.
2: One lesson in healthcare is that expertise can be expensive, that to see a specialist, that specialist might cost more than, than a generalist. In this case, we're talking about experts and, and how to help people get healthier. I can't imagine that their services come cheap. So who pays for health coaching? How yeah. does insurance decide whether to cover
1: Right, such a great question. So there's actually a few things embedded in there, I'm going to try to take them apart. Um, So one of them is that the health coach's expertise is really in a particular process. And the process is a facilitative process that where they lead their clients through identifying what they're ready to take on how they might take it on and then do a series of experiments to see what's going to work. The health coach has to know some basic evidence-based recommendations around all major areas of health and well-being, but they do not need in-depth understanding of pathophysiology or medical treatments per se. It's helpful for them to be aware and really importantly in communication with the rest of the healthcare team, but they're really bringing a process expertise and less of a content expertise. So health coaches are considerably less expensive than um, many different licensed healthcare providers. The other thing I'd like to say about uh, who pays for it is, at this point, um, if you go for coaching services, unless it's part of a bundled package or built into an accountable care organization's processes, um, it's generally not covered by insurance. And one of the things that's fascinating is that the insurance companies actually have seen uh, how well it works, and so the major insurance companies all have their own health coaching programs where they identify people at risk, um, people that might end up being expensive to the system, and provide these services in an effort to keep their own costs down. Then you have uh, people who um, go to accountable care organizations where what uh, justifies the expense of the health coach is basically the the facilitation of the patient doing more to support their health. Um, so it ends up, there's some data that shows that it actually ends up being less of a drain for the providers, for the physicians, for the NPs, because they've got these um, ancillary personnel that are really supporting the patient in a way that they don't have the training to do, and more importantly, don't have the time to do.
2: You're a renowned researcher on health coaching or a psychologist. Are you a certified health coach yourself?
1: I am.
2: And what certifications do you have?
1: So I have the National Board Certification for Health and Wellness Coaching.
2: Is that the gold standard for health coaches?
1: It is the gold standard because it's the only standard that multiple organizations have agreed to. So other kinds of certifications are put out by individual programs. And really, their certifications are as solid as their individual brand recognition but there isn't necessarily a consensus among groups as to this being a single standard. That's what the National Board Certification does. Is it gets all? You know, we've been getting all the players together for the last, although we've been um, officially a nonprofit for six years, I guess. Uh, getting all the players together is. We've been working on this for about ten years, so. The importance of developing a single standard so that the not only healthcare but so that individual patients can know this um, is what a health coach is when I hear the term this is what it means you know it's early in the game right now and so people are just learning about the international consortium and just learning about being national board certified um, but we have 1400 that have Passed the first two exams, I think we'll have 1,800 National Board Certified Health and Wellness Coaches by the end of this year. And uh, just a lot of exciting things are going on on the, on the horizon related to this.
2: You mentioned the International Consortium for Health and Wellness Coaching, which you're involved with. What was the motivating factor to found that organization?
1: What was happening across the landscape is as chronic disease was continuing to burgeon and there was more and more need for helping support patients to engage in their own health care, lots of different roles were popping up and people were using the title health coach, but the title meant different things to different people. In order to um, ensure the standards are met, uh, we needed to have a, a Process, a certification process that reflected this single standard. So the international consortium has partnered with the National Board of Medical Examiners, who, in partnership with USMLE, provide the multi steps of the licensing exam for physicians. Their NBME, they're called National Board of Medical Examiners, is a 100 year old uh, psychometric company, very, very Uh, founded on how to structure good exams. And we've partnered with them to develop an exam that reflects this agreed to standard on what health and wellness coaches actually do.
2: Doctor, why did you start researching health coaches in the first place?
1: So I am trained as a health psychologist. And there are a lot of things that I kind of took for granted, because it was ingrained in my training, that I began to see weren't necessarily part of how others in healthcare approached um, training. And the biggest part of that really is the patient-centered part, which was, what does the patient care about? What does the patient want out of this? Um, And so with, I mean, I certainly didn't do it by myself. A whole group of us have been involved. Figuring out—I um, guess the first study that I was involved in started in 2002, um, and it was an early CMS-funded uh, study that tried to articulate and clarify what happens when you hold at the center of the healthcare process what the patient most cares about, and it just it, things just rearrange themselves when that's the case. So I think just recognizing there were things from other fields that could significantly contribute, um, and then working with people from all different kinds of professional backgrounds, there was sort of a a synergy, you know, where we just all were kind of drawn to the same thing at the same time.
2: You've talked about how we're at the beginning of health coaching, that this is a field that's growing and expanding. When you imagine the evolution of health coaching, what, what worries are keeping you up at night?
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say, what do I envision? (laughs) Um, What worries keep me up? I think primarily it's a a matter of awareness and education that people feel, um, the other professionals sometimes feel um, challenged or, you know, get turfy because they don't fully understand what coaches do and don't do. That's my biggest worry, Um, is that it's misunderstood. You know, every healthcare professional has some kind of content expertise and is trained to advise people what to do. So, you know, in loose parlance and sort of day-to-day language, we always say we coach each other. We think about coaching a team, et cetera. Um, And people assume that it means advising or telling what to do, but actually coaching does not involve advising Coaching involves a facilitation process where the person's figuring out what it is that they want to do, given whatever the medical or dietetic or whatever it is, recommendation. So I think really misunderstanding what coaching is would be my biggest uh, concern.
2: With the, the glass half full, what, what is your biggest hope for health coaching in the coming years?
1: That it is so common that it's in every primary care practice that specialties have access to coaches, whether they have them in their own practice or refer out to them. Um, that they're embedded much bigger than the healthcare system. That they're embedded in communities. That they're embedded in schools, places that uh, where we're constantly learning. You know, we we get so much of our models about how to eat and exercise or not, manage stress, et cetera, we get a lot of that by watching what um, other people do and not necessarily even consciously. So having health coaches that um, are also very committed to living healthfully um, in all kinds of different venues is, uh, is my vision so that they're easily accessible by everyone.
2: You're on a politico podcast. Our audience includes policy folks and advisors. What do policymakers need to know about health coaching that you worry they don't already know?
1: They need to understand that health coaching is a very specific skill set that you don't just get by training in anything else in healthcare. You've got to have coach training. And in order to ensure a certain bar of competency being national board certified in health and wellness coaching at least clarifies that you've passed this particular hurdle.
2: So what do policymakers need to do to make that happen?
1: Policymakers need to start asking people if they're national board certified or create policy that requires that coaches are nationally board certified um, that, Uh, insurers and CMS and other coverers also need to do that. Um, Embedding the health coach into various prevention efforts is also a really key point of this. I would say understanding coaching and making sure that you are learning about it from a national board certified health and wellness coach would be my strongest advice.
2: And we appreciated learning about health coaching from you, a nationally certified health coach and expert. Uh, Dr. Ruth Wollover, thank you so much for joining Politico Pulse Check.
1: Thank you, Dan.
2: That's it for Pulse Check this week. My thanks to Ruth Wollover in North Carolina and Michelle Giraldi in San Francisco for joining the show, and to producers Michaela Rodriguez and Dave Shaw for making it all possible in D.C. Another reminder to subscribe and stay tuned to the show for the Pulse Check at Work series, including the conclusion on October 4th, a special branded episode from our sponsor, Providence St. Joseph Health. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.